Hello and welcome back to HIF Player, the podcast from Harrogate International Festivals. You are joining with audiences from across the globe to enjoy HIF Player, bringing Harrogate International Festivals into your home. We're thrilled to bring you Bowen Salon North, Harrogate's very own TED Style Talks, sponsored by Bowen Solicitors. In a time of polarised debate, Bowen Salon North gives you the time and space to learn from the experts and make up your own mind. Sit back, relax and enjoy an insightful and entertaining talk from our expert guest speaker, Dr. Pragya Agarwal, exploring the human brain recorded live as part of Bowen Salon North. Out of your head, out of your mind. Dr. Pragya Agarwal is a real force for change. She is a data scientist who has had a successful academic career both here and in the United States. She is a great communicator of ideas and published the definitive and much needed book on unconscious bias sway, unraveling unconscious bias designed to help us uncover the biases we hold. Its huge success showed how much it was a book of our times and generation. Prega is a passionate campaigner for racial and gender equality. Do look out for her books on the Wish We Knew What To Say, Talking With Children About Race, and her latest book, Motherhood, on the choices of being a woman, all of which are brilliant examples of how everyone can be included in the conversations we need to have about race and gender. So, ladies and gentlemen, I know you will show once again a very warm welcome to our final speaker here this evening, Dr. Pragya Argwell. Thank you so much. I hope you can hear me at the back. And I'm really impressed that so many of you are still here. I thought I'll be speaking to an empty room. So, well done. Brilliant. Um, so I am going to talk about unconscious biases. And let's start off by saying that we are all biased, okay? Bias isn't something that only racist or sexist or bigoted people have. I am biased and so are you. We all have biases within us. So if we start from that point, then it's easier to move forward. We need to acknowledge that. We all carry these biases. We need these biases because we need to process information. These are kind of shortcuts in our brain to be able to process information. So we need some of these shortcuts in the brain. So if you go to the beach and you say, actually, I don't know which ice cream to buy, and that happens quite a lot to me, and I'm standing there trying to make a decision while everybody's behind me is getting impatient, if you have a certain preference for an ice cream, that is your bias towards a certain ice cream, and you're more likely to choose it, and you choose it really quickly, and that's kind of a shortcut that you have in your brain because it helps you to make decisions quickly. So rather than actually debating on the pros and cons of every decision that you're supposed to make. Um, if you go to the supermarket, if I go to the supermarket, I often have like five, 10 minutes, and if I have to buy a cereal, I'm not going to stand there and debate on every parameter that every cereal has, I'm going to think I have this data bank of memories or kind of this list in my head that I match some of these things to and say, actually, this cereal is with my children ate it without any fuss. They then didn't throw a tantrum, so that is the best one to get. And that's often very high on my priority list. So I will get that. So we have these kind of data bank of experiences and memories that we've built up. 
I'm going to try and move this forward. So this is how we make decisions in our life. We need these biases sometimes to make decisions, but when we make decisions sometimes, and these experiences and memories that we built up in our brain, we can also activate stereotypes. That is where the problem comes. And so if we start off by acknowledging that we have, through our experiences and memories, built up certain stereotypes in our head. And why have we done that? Because we cannot process all the information in the world in a very rational, logical manner. We can't even hold the whole map of the world in our head. We, we navigate through life, we prioritize things, we assign them significance, we categorize things, that's how we process are the information around us. That's how our brain processes, because we don't have the cognitive resources to say, actually, I'm going to hold all the information in my head in a very individual basis. We categorize things, so we might have certain templates in our brain to say, I have actually read these kind of books, and I've watched these films, and I've grown up in a particular social and cultural context. I have seen this happen, so this must be true. And they become our absolute truths or our worldview. That's what we have, we all have that. So you might think that if I'm driving down, if you're driving down and you see a car in front of you and the person is not driving very well or they're not able to park very well, you might think that must be a woman because women are really bad drivers. I've seen that happen. Sometimes I've said it myself and been really ashamed of it as well. So that is the kind of stereotype we can have because we hear it so much around us from since we are children sometimes that it becomes an absolute truth. We also have these books sometimes saying men are from Mars, women from Venus. So yeah, men and women are very different. Or men can read maps and women can't read maps. And so we start thinking, yeah, women can't read maps. That's true, this must be true. So we, that becomes a template in our brain, a stereotype to which we match all the incoming information that's coming to us. So we have these, we all have that. We all have, we all generalize things, we all categorize things, we all label things. We all do that. What happens is that when we are processing information or when we are navigating through life and we are encountering new people and new situations, we just don't have the mental capacity. Our brain don't have the cognitive resources to deal with all the information in a really rational, logical manner. So we deploy something called a brain, deploy something which is called a dual processing theory. And it's kind of a very schematic thing. This is a simplistic representation of what's happening in a brain. It's not like a brain has two different parts and they sit in isolation and don't talk to each other. They're all very interconnected things that are happening, but simplistically speaking, this is what's happening. So when we are on social media, we are distracted, we are in a rush, we are standing in a coffee shop, we are in a rush, we are in a hurry, we are distracted by Twitter or Instagram, we're scrolling through it. When we encounter a new person or a new situation in that way, and this information comes at us, we, our brain deals with it in a very kind of a subconscious manner. And what it does, it matches this incoming information, like a visual matching game, like children play sometimes those cards that we match with each other. It just matches to the existing templates that we built up in this bra our brain through our experiences and memories, this kind of data bank. It matches that, and it, it, it says, okay, um, it, and it happens in a part of a brain called amygdala, mostly, um, which is often called the fear center, although that's debatable. But what it means is that we often react to new people and new situations, often with fear and unfamiliar things, which is called neophobia. So that is why we might be fearful of new people or new things or new situations. And that can be often um, 
mobilized in sometimes political conversations, like new people might come in, take your jobs away, or new, these unfamiliar things that we can hear sometimes. So this is a very associative way of thinking. That means that if, you, if I say to you, if you have a piece of paper and I say to you, in one second you have to think, if I say apple, do you think red or green? Those are the kind of associations we built up in our brain, and that's the associative thinking that we have, that we often do. So women bad drivers, or men good at science and maths, all those kind of associations we built up in our brains. So that's system one processing that's happening. But if we take time, we take time with these decisions and we're aware that we might be holding these stereotypes and we take a step back and we say, actually, I'm not going to react in a certain way. I'm going to wait for more information. Then our brain has the time to send this information to more rational parts of the brain, like the prefrontal cortex, for instance, where we can, where it can say, actually, and these things are happening in our brain, and um, sometimes we're responsible for it, and sometimes we're not. But we can be responsible for it. That's what I'm saying. So we can put a barrier between holding stereotypes and activating stereotypes. And so we can say, actually, I need more information on this person. I'm not going to just activate a stereotype that I might have. I need more rules. So that is. That is what often like these anger management things, like you say, count down from 10 or take deep breaths. This is actually what activating your system two processing. So road rage often happens when we are not thinking very clearly, and it's like a system one processing. And when we take step back and say, actually, I'm going to apply rules and say, what are the consequences of me being in such a rage on the road, then it's like you're activating your system two processing. You're applying more rules to it. You're waiting for more information. So that's kind of a general model of why our stereotypes get activated when we meet new people. We also have this tendency to form in-groups and out-groups, these in-group-out-group associations. So in a very, very distant past, evolutionarily speaking, our distant ancestors, they were very limited resources. They had to form this notion of, this is my tribe, and anybody who comes in from outside, I have to be fearful of them because they are a threat to my limited resources, and they can also bring in diseases that I haven't built immunity to. So we, they, they drew very strong lines of in-group and out-group. But we still do that. We don't have the same threat to our resources. We have built immunity to most things. Uh, a lot of things, um, but we still have this tendency to draw these lines of in-group and out-group associations. And when we do that, there's research to show that we are more prejudiced towards people who we consider part of out-group. And in-group can be anything. It's based in our affinity bias, which means that people who look like us, think like us, act like us, talk like us, we build certain affinity towards them. And once we build affinity towards them, we consider them part of our in-group, and then we can be discriminatory or prejudiced towards people who are not part of our in-group. So this is why we should be so careful of forming these kind of cliques in the workplace or these kind of groups that we think, oh, I'm fearful of anybody who's not like me. Um, all affinity bias isn't bad. So people, uh, if you're walking down the street and you're a really strong supporter of some football team, I don't know what football team here is. Uh, you can tell I know so much about football. But I live near Liverpool, so I know what people support there. Um, so if you see somebody else walking down the street with the same football shirt, you will think, oh, wow, look, look at them. They support the same football team. And you have a certain affinity towards them automatically. Um, 
And that is not harmful. We all need a sense of belonging. We all need to build affinity towards other people. We need that. We, that sense of belonging is, is what forms our identity, our self-worth, all of that. We need that. But if that means that I am, you're going to be discriminatory towards anybody or prejudiced towards somebody who doesn't belong to that in-group, then that is a problem. So that becomes problematic, and that's how racial stereotypes are activated, that's how gender stereotypes are activated as well. And, and so we have to be mindful about how we are drawing these lines, and a lot of research to show that can be based on race, it can be based on ethnicity, class, or gender, or sexuality, or uh, anything like that, disability, all those kind of things. And it is often shown in, by research that we have hierarchies in a society, and I'm sure all of you will agree with that. There are some hierarchies, there are some norms that have developed through society, through history, so which means that anybody who's at the top of the hierarchy or more have more status or power or privilege in society are likely to be more discriminatory towards the people who are marginalized and in the minority. And it doesn't work the other way around because the people who are in the minority or marginalized are actually, their self-preservation is their first instinct, so they're less likely to be prejudiced towards. So the whole notion of majority and minority also acts on some of these things. I'm going to talk a little bit about gender bias, then I'm going to show you actually about technologies, which is really interesting and fascinating about how some of these biases actually get built into our technologies as well. Um, so there is this notion <laughs> that women are more emotional, they're hysterical, they react in a very sensitive manner, or you're just being hysterical or you're oversensitive, that is it. And so the first quote I really like, not like, but actually find it really fascinating that there is still this perception, somebody who's a Nobel Prize winner said this and thought it was a joke, that the, my trouble with girls is that three things happen when they're in the lab, you fall in love with them, they fall in love with you, or when you criticize them, they cry. So there is this notion that women can't handle pressure, and then they, they cry a lot. And <laughs> actually, this is, something that I'm talking about in my next book that's coming out in September, about why do we do that? Why, why do we have this belief that men are more rational, they can handle pressure more, better, and women can't handle pressure as easily, and they cry more easily? But when these notions become developed or embedded in our society, what happens is that if you're hiring or recruiting or anything like that, you will have these unconscious biases at play. And if you, even if you think that I'm not being biased, I'm going to look at them very objectively, there's a lot of research to show that actually these biases will play a role. Your subconscious biases or prejudices or stereotypes will play a role. It also affects women who are stepping into a domain that is considered traditionally masculine, and I say it in a quote mark because I don't believe that there are typical masculine or feminine attributes or stereotypes, but if they step into a STEM domain, for instance, that's why we have so much inequality in the STEM domain, that if they step in it, they carry something called stereotype threat. So if, you, if you're in the minority in a majority domain, domain and you step into that domain, you know that you're going to be stereotyped. You have this awareness, hyper-awareness, that you are going to face some stereotypes, some prejudices, and that American Association of Psychology has shown that that can cause insomnia, depression, 
all anxiety, all sorts of things. And that can affect people's performance as well. So when women talk about imposter syndrome, it is mostly that they know, they feel that I'm going to be stereotyped. I need to work 10 times as hard to prove myself. I need to show that I fit in or belong. So that is what happens sometimes. Um, the notion of feminine and masculine attributes also mean that women have to conform to these in, in the way that they work sometimes. And um, so there's a, something called a double bind bias that happens in society. So women are supposed to be nurturing, maternal, empathetic, collaborative, cooperative. All those kind of passive qualities are attributed to women. Instead of, and on the other hand, men are considered to be uh, aggressive, authoritative, uh, dynamic, self-motivated, all the agentic qualities. And there's a whole lot of research to show that it is still the case. This is not something that was happening 50 years ago. Still the case that people fall back on these things. So when women conform to these stereotypes of being nurturing and empathetic and then they're pushed into a certain niche. So in the workplace, for instance, in the organization, it can happen in the domestic domain, it can happen in the home as well. They carry a lot of mental load, they carry most of the emotional load of carrying uh, of childcare and home and everything like that. And that causes stress and anxiety. And we've seen that through the pandemic and lockdown that it has heightened the gender pay gap. It has heightened the gap because women were carrying, juggling childcare and homeschooling and full-time work and all that stuff. But if they don't conform to it, then they are also penalized because they are seen to be stepping outside the norm or the roles that they're supposed to play in society. So that is the problem with these stereotypes that we often have, which are deeply embedded. And we might think they are the absolute truth, but they're not. I am actually going to show you some examples of which are really fascinating. So I went to get a passport photo, um, a photo for a driving license um, during the pandemic in Tesco. I, maybe I shouldn't name the supermarket because it was just like a standard thing. Uh, and I went there and uh, I thought it'd be a 10 minute thing because I was rushing. I've got two very small children and they were screaming. And, uh, and after half an hour, I wasn't able to take a photograph because it kept saying, you appear to be smiling and your mouth appears to be open. And I am not, as you can see, I don't look very well or very good, but at least I'm not smiling or my mouth's not open. So what is happening? And it didn't pass. And ultimately, I said, just give me the photograph. I'll just take it, you know. I can't, I can't do anything else. I can't parse my lips anymore than this. So. What is happening is that we know a lot of these technologies are built around a certain norm. So they have problems recognizing darker skin color. They cannot recognize darker skin color because the normative values these technologies are designed do not fit these parameters. We also have a lot of research to show that the UK passport um, website, it's very difficult to upload darker skin photographs. I have personal experience, my daughter has personal experience of that. I have lots of people who've, so I posted this on Twitter and there were like thousands of people who came back and said, this happened to me and this happened to me. I thought I was the only one. So nothing really unique about me, to be honest. Um, so then we, we have so many examples about that. So what is happening is that these technologies are also having these biases, societal biases built into them because the data 
is actually a snapshot of the world. Data is collected by teams, which are not very diverse sometimes. Their biases get built into them. Then these algorithms are trained on this data, so they have these biases. They incorporate some of these biases as well. So technology is not free of biases. That is what we need to be really mindful of. Um, so this is the passport, and office. you can't really upload very well, you have to contact the customer support and it takes hours and things like that. Then the, we looked at this pulse algorithm actually which uh, depixelates faces. So um, it, 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 if you put a pixelated face, it will smoothen out the curves and I'm not going to go into detail about what the technology does. But they put the pixelated face of Barack Obama and that's the result they got. <laughs> I mean, he's not a white man first of all. So it was turning black faces into white. And that was happening with a lot of the examples. It wasn't the only one. Um, you can see that. Um, and you can see here, Thierry Henry became somebody who I don't know who that is. Um, so, so that's what was happening in technology. Um, that is an example from the US legal system where they assign a risk score to criminals uh, based on their prior offenses. And he, th there's a lot of research that Florida State University has done on it and a number of universities over there about how the risk, risk scores of white defendants and black defendants it varies a lot because there is this general perception or stereotype based on how black men are more aggressive and, um, and uh, they are incarcerated more. We know that. This is very true. So this person had prior offenses quite a lot, and his subsequent offense had a one grand theft, and he was given a low risk score of three, while the other black man was given a score of eight, even when he just had four juvenile misdemeanors. And that was just one example. There's lots of examples of that. So what I'm trying to say is that sometimes we think that technology is a free of bias. Also, we think that sometimes these objective, like legal or medical and healthcare domains, which we think are really objective and rational, they also have biases built into them. There's a whole lot of examples in my book, Sway, about the medical and healthcare domain, about how men and women are treated differently and diagnosed and treated differently. Women's pain is often um, ignored and not treated very well um, by nurses and healthcare professionals. People of color are not treated very well. We saw that during pandemic and the, and the death rates as well. So that is something, and I am going to play this because this is interesting. Um, it is a racist soap dispenser, that's what they call it. <laughs> it's actually in the office of Facebook, and they posted an example, um, a video of it that actually didn't work with darker skin color. Um, it wouldn't just do anything. And, and there's a whole lot of research to show that actually the self-driven cars, when they were first tested, or even recently, they've now changed the, and modified and tweaked it, they were running over all the darker skinned pedestrians. So it's not really going to end very well for some of us, actually. So um, um, I think I should end soon. <laughs> but I'm going to talk about this because I, a lot of you use a voice assistant, um, Siri, Alexa, all those things. And um, first of all, I'll come to it, but Siri doesn't recognize my voice. So I'll come to that in a minute because I really have a lot of complaint against it. But, but there's a lot of research to show that because these technologies were designed by teams of men mostly, they model them on women being subservient to men. 
they were first of all designed with their assistants. They had very typically, traditionally feminine voices, names and voices, but also the, the United Nations report was, there was a United Nations report which said, I'd blush if I could, the report was called, because they did this uh, test on uh, Siri and Alexa in which that if there was a sexually explicit or harassment or a harass kind of uh, a statement, uh, somebody said to them, they didn't have any capacity or autonomy or agency to actually shut it down or to retort to it. In, they were very passive. It was a passive response like, oh, um, yes, thank you, or doesn't understand, first of all, sometimes, because, or make a joke in response to it, or I, I think Alexa said, I'd blush if I could. So that was the United Nations report. And so what the problem here is that when we don't have diverse teams, they're building their biases into these technologies. They're modeling the societal stereotypes and gender norms into these technologies as well. So they're modeling it in, in favor of women being subservient. There was a research, actually very interesting research, that was done in Germany where they tested different voices with sat-navs. And a lot of men, as well as women, preferred a man's voice to give them, or like a traditional masculine deep voice to give them orders because they didn't want to take orders from women's voices. So, so that means that actually it's not, there are biases which are unconscious, but there are biases conscious as well. So I'm not saying all biases are unconscious. People have conscious prejudices as well. They're externalized sometimes, but also internalized. We can internalize these biases about ourselves, so women can internalize these gender norms and actually discriminate against other women as well. That happens, and that can, women can also feel, oh, I would actually prefer a man to be in authority because they're more capable or more rational. And that is a, there's a research to show that as well. Um, yeah, so Amazon al algorithm actually said, Oprah Winfrey appears to be male for 76.1% things. So algorithms actually are, have a lot of gender bias built into them as well. The Google's AI image recognition service, um, they, <laughs> they were shown um, these, um, these images of lawmakers in the US, and so they tagged the, the images of men who were the senators and stuff with like, or oh, they're business people, they are speakers, and with very agentic, like professional qualities, while the women senators were tagged as television presenters, nothing wrong with that, but it's a different role. It's a different kind of role, which doesn't carry that much authority with it. Um, it, uh, it is, they're tagged more on their hairstyle and chin. I don't know why chin, but smile and so, so that is really, really fascinating and quite disappointing and ang makes me angry sometimes, but you know, that, that, is, that is how societal biases get embedded in technology as well. So um, I am going to come to this because <laughs> I wanted to show you how uh, the world of voice recognition, not all people are the same. I cannot use Siri on my phone because if I ask them to play a song, they say, so that's a Hindi song, it's a Bollywood song called Dhamma Chale. I wish I could play it for you, it's really great. We played it at our wedding. And um, it said, sorry, I could not find dumb in your music. Okay, just play this. Sorry, I could not find Bocelli in your music. Do you understand me? Try asking again in a different way, it told me. So this is a real example, actually. It said, try asking in a different way. And I, I can't, I don't know how to ask different ways. So 
I think I'm going to end here and plug my books. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Dr. Praga, oh, well, I was going to plug your book, so you, you didn't need to worry about that. Um, I think I'm not the only one that's slightly biased. That was truly excellent. Uh, obviously, uh, a lot of things up there that uh, struck a chord, most definitely. Caramel ice cream it is for me every time. Okay. And whoever's parked next to me in the car park, I'm really sorry if you're parked next to a red golf, because it's a real squish. And I, I said to Fiona as I arrived, I said, I do hope there are no cameras on the front of this hotel, because <laughs> they'll think I'm a very, very bad driver. But um, thank you so much. Um, it's been enlightening. Um, I know we are running slightly later because um, there's been so much that's been packed into this evening, but we have a little bit of time built in. Are there any questions? Is there anyone in the room who would like to ask Pragya a question? Because I'm sure she'd be more than happy to, uh, uh, to, uh, to answer if there, if there is anyone. Oh, the, oh, we've got a young lady here. What was your question? Hello. Um, so I was just thinking when you were talking about um, how women are expected to be more emotional. Um, is there research into like, how that works on the other end of the spectrum? So also men are expected to be less emotional and how that perhaps works as a, a different form of bias that um, works against both sexes, I guess. Yeah, thank you. That's a great question. You'll have to read my book, Hysterical, that's coming out on the front. <laughs> Another plug there. <laughs> but, but no, to answer your question, um, actually, when we talk about gender inequality or gender norms, it doesn't just disadvantage women. It disadvantages men equally, too, because both are pushed into these niches, into these kind of stereotypes. Not all men are a certain way. Not all women are a certain way. So anybody who is an outlier is seen as, is, is, is finds difficulty. So in terms of emotions, women are expected to be very emotional and like perceived to be. So there's a research which said that if men and women were both like angry, um, women were just seen to be difficult and men were seen to have, be having a bad day. So <laughs> it's, it, that is true, that men are often it's attributed that if there must be a valid reason if they're showing emotions and anger, while women, they're just emotional, that they, they just do that. Um, and so men can't cry, boys don't cry, we have that stereotype. So that is why this notion of toxic masculinity is created with, well, men have to have a stiff upper lip or not show their emotions or act in a certain way. And we might think that there's innate natural differences, but there's a lot of research to show that children actually um, Parents talk to young children or infants in a very different way if they know they're a girl or a boy. Um, also, children pick up these biases or these gender roles. They're socialized into these behaviors from a young age. So it's very difficult to say what they were naturally born with or what their innate tendencies were and what they've just picked up through life. So it, it disadvantages both men and women in that way. Any other questions I think in there the room? One over there. Yes, lady over there in a pink top. I just wanted to say that was a very interesting talk Thank and you. especially this week with the Child Q report, it goes to show how um, biases like that can really stop and prevent safeguarding of children mm. even in this society, mm. in this day and age. So it put things in a very good context. Uh, you. What were your thoughts on that though? Because it really affects how we educate and how we treat children in schools. 
Yes, um, yeah, I mean, that's a huge question and a huge topic and something quite close to my heart. As a parent, as an educator, as a carer, um, I, I do think that we need to have open and honest conversations about this. I think we need to um, teach our children to be aware of their privileges, but also the biases that they might face to give them the vocabulary to be able to talk about it. Often we shirk away from these conversations because we are uncomfortable with these conversations. And sometimes we impose our implicit biases on our children as well, because they are like sponges, they pick up these things. So the notion of consent, the notion of bodies, the notion of boundaries, the notion of um, how we act and protect ourselves, but also be an ally to other people who don't have the same privilege. I think these conversations should be happening in schools mm -hmm. at all levels. Is there one final question? I think we may be able to take, if there's anyone else in the room who would like to ask anything, or is that really drawing <laughs> our evening to a close? I think it is. Thank you very much indeed. Well, I'm sure, ladies and gentlemen, you would like to uh, show your appreciation to an inspiring and uh, a wonderful speaker, uh, Dr. Prabhu Armin. Thank you very much Thank indeed. You so Thank you. Thank you for listening to HIF Player. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to this podcast. For more information about our arts charity and upcoming events, please visit harrogateinternationalfestivals.com. <laughs>